Tristan, just myself and you this week. Ian's uh, taken a leave of absence from our podcast, but I'm sure we'll hold it together. Today, we're hosting Matthew Pulford and Georgina Patey. Had a client walk into the office and they had a couple hundred down, a couple hundred thousand pounds they wanted to invest because they got it through inheritance. Um, and um, my initial thought was we need to split that capital to be able to use and be more efficient with how that um how their money could work for them. So we split the two, the, the model in half, split 200 grand to 100 grand each, invested it in two different ways, took out a relatively cheap mortgage, which meant that they were generating, I think it was about 350 pound a month, 400 pound a month extra in revenue each month by having two separate buy to let properties rather than having the one which they could hold on to. There's always a, there's always a scare process scare process but there's always a bit of a worry from anybody when they're specifically not used to having a mortgage on their own property to then having a mortgage on other buy to lets but when you realize the return on investment through the capital that you make off the back of the investment is much greater by having a small mortgage and splitting that capital it does make it much more advantageous to them two estate agents with probably 25, 30 years worth of lettings background. So we're going to talk to them about a variety of different issues. What are you really looking forward to getting involved with these two? I think it'd be great to hear from their their mouths of their experience of working within an agency and how or what landlords don't see behind the phones of a typical agency and just how things operate and how we can improve as an industry. So it'd be, it'd be good to hear from them uh, in that in more detail and, and share the knowledge to, to the landlords that are listening. Uh, for me, I'm looking forward to what they're, what they're going to say about people's agendas. What When a state agent gives you advice, is it advice based on what they need or what client really needs? And I know Matt's got really strong opinions on it. I've worked with Georgina in the past as well. I know certainly she's not she's not scared to, to let us know what she really thinks about what the industry's like and, and where it should go. So I can't wait to get them on. What about you? Definitely, let's do it. Okay, so welcome to Matt and Georgina, who are our guests on today's podcast, alongside myself and Tristan, regular hosts. Matt and Georgina, both very experienced letting agents who have transferred into the sales industry over the last couple of years. So our welcome guests to talk to us about their experiences within the lettings industry, how that transfers over into sales, how the industry is changing, and what people are doing about that to make sure it actually focuses on the clients. So we've got a list of questions. We've got a good chat that we're going to have for these people. I hope you enjoy it. If you ever, as ever, if you ever have comments, if you have questions, please, please post them on our links below, and we will endeavour to get back to you as soon as we see them. Um, we really, really, really enjoy them, and we really, really want them to become part of our podcast. So thanks for listening. We're going to go straight into our chat with Matt, Georgina, and Tristan. Tristan's ever is our question master. So Tristan, over to you. Perfect. So one question we ask everyone on our podcast, so um, you both will get the opportunity to answer this. But Matt, if I come to you first, why did you become a property professional? Um, well, a long time ago, I was... Um in truth, wanting to become a professional golfer, but realised I was never going to be good enough. Um, so if you want the honest answer, um, wasn't going to be good enough. So I thought what well, I could turn my hand to. And in truth, uh, whenever I worked in the pro shop when I was when I was 
wanting to become a golf pro was um, I always enjoyed selling the products in the golf shop and wanting to try and provide a service to the clients when we were there. And in truth, I had a friend that was working in property at the time and he introduced me to to a couple of different businesses. And um, I went and interviewed and felt the synergy very, very quickly and then joined. And then the rest is history. And we're almost 17 years later um, and still, still, still in property. So it's, um, yeah, that was the primary reason for me. And what about yourself, Georgina? Uh, for me, it was a bit of glamour. Uh, I always love to help people. Um, I didn't necessarily want to go to university, but I wanted to earn, you know, a, a decent wage for myself. But I wasn't afraid to put in the hard work um, and the hours to do that. So, uh, yeah, and uh, naturally always been interested in property. My dad worked um, in developments in London and my mum worked in social housing side of things. So it's kind of a a family thing my dad's got lots of buy to let properties as well so it's it's always being talked about around the dinner table so uh yeah it just felt like the natural natural sort of choice for me perfect is it as glamorous as you'd hoped georgina (laughs) that's what we want to know um (laughs) probably not at times but it can be yes it can can be and it's it's just super fun it's not quite selling sunset glamour though (laughs) We can all dream. And Matt, uh, aspiring professional golfer, there's, there's still time on the seniors tour, I'm sure, as, as we clock it, as we clock Not in. Not old yet. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's uh, something I've seen over the years is um, those people who've enjoyed mid to high level sport through teenage and, and sort of early adult period have always done well out estate agency and sales is a, a real synergy from the competition point of view mm-hmm. yeah you never like to be beaten um but hence why whenever i worked within the previous businesses that i worked for it was always trying to be the best that was there so um not accepting second best and always going after what you um, wanted to achieve for you which in truth always meant that you achieved what you needed to for the for the client inadvertently as well um having only worked for two businesses or, or now three in the last sort of 16 to 17 years, it's been, it's been nice to know that the performances that I've put in across all of those businesses have been able to achieve me to where I get to now. And that leads back to competitiveness, still play golf occasionally now, occasionally, a little bit more than occasionally, but still play now. And the, the competitiveness hasn't lost. It's still there. The winning mentality. I love it. Yeah, yeah, Totally. Which brings me on, um, Matt, why I've got you then. Um, so going straight into it, let's talk about mistakes. Um, in your experience, what is the most common mistake made by private landlords, in your opinion? I think if we look at, I think I think there's different ways you can look at that question. I think there's, there's the experienced landlords versus the new novice landlords, the ones that have got a bit of money and thinking to invest it in property. I'm going to concentrate the answer around the newer investor landlord because I think that's the most appropriate one for the moment is that when you're a new landlord the idea is return on investment trying to keep your costs low a load of outgoings based on expenditure of capital or buying a property I think when you look at the investment of it I think a lot of it needs to be taken into account of instructing a decent management agent to look after you because of the compliance element of it knowing that you can get knowing that there's so much that you can get wrong from a I mean, not many let-only landlords will know that they need to register with um, general data protection to be able to hold on to the data on behalf of the clients that they look after. And the fines that are there are, are 
significant if you get that wrong. And I think there's all those bits and pieces like EICRs that have come in over the past couple of years, energy performance certificates, and we're going to touch on that a bit later on. Um, I think that most landlords get it wrong where they try and cut corners from a cost perspective when they're introducing the person that can look after them in the short term. Um, and having a decent reputable management agent to be able to do that um, is worth its weight in gold because as long as you pick the right agent, I mean, that's that's always a challenge, but as long as you pick the right agent and they're able to support you through that process, you know that your compliance-driven mentality is that you're not going to get caught short on something you didn't know you were going to get wrong. Yeah, I have to uh, agree on that. And like you said, legislation is a massive topic and it's always changing it has done over the years and there's lots of changes that's due to happen next year as well, potentially, which um, we'll have a blog on very soon, just talking about those announcements. But just going on to the, the, the training element then. So with the legislation, the staff used to run previously, what internal training support was offered to the staff in order to for them to improve and to get better understanding when speaking to clients? I think a lot of it fell down to, uh, obviously, you've got your compliance training through Arley, you've got all your... your, your information that you can gather through completing all your relevant courses and all the all the courses that you can do through gaining additional qualifications i think a lot of it came down to the organization element of it though because i think that there's there's always a pressure in the industry and the businesses that i've worked within to be able to go after numbers first compliance second and i've always tried to change that because i think the compliance element when you look at lettings is so it's so significant to get right so what i try to do with a lot of the staff that i manage was try and organize their time efficiently so they could become more uh concentrated is probably the right way of explaining that on knowing that the job has to be done to its completeness. And what I mean by that is from start to finish done rather than cut corners to be able to get to the, to get to the end quicker. Um, and I think a lot of junior staff, a lot of aspiring management level staff always try to get to the conclusion quickest, thinking that's the right way. But in actual fact, knowing how to train the staff to make sure that they deliver the complete service in a timely fashion is more important than doing it quick. There's no no cutting corners with that, is there? It has no, to be done absolutely. correctly from start to finish. Yeah, absolutely. Um, otherwise, that's when when issues uh, incur on that. So, just on the the train element. So, we talked about the legislation side. Let's talk about investments. Was any train or support given for um, a client with buy to let portfolio or any property sourcing, anything of that nature? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, I often had landlords come to me where they had acquired some capital from inheritance where they were looking to try and invest it. Um, you often came and they were like, okay, fine. Well, I've got, let's say £200,000. I remember a scenario going back a few years, but I had a client walk into the office and they had a couple hundred thousand, a couple hundred thousand pounds they wanted to invest because they got it through inheritance. Um, and um, my initial thought was we need to split that capital to be able to use and be more efficient with how that um how their money could work for them so we split the two the the model in half split 200 grand to 100 grand each invested it in two different ways took out a relatively cheap mortgage which meant that they were generating i think it was about 350 pound a month 400 pound a month extra in revenue each month by having two separate buy select properties rather than having the one which they could hold on to there's always there's always a scare 
process, scare process, but there's always a bit of a worry from anybody when they're specifically not used to having a mortgage on their own property to then having a mortgage on the other buy to lets. But when you realise the return on investment through the capital that you make off the back of the investment is much greater by having a small mortgage and splitting that capital, it does make it much more advantageous to them. Yeah, no, I have to agree on that. Um, I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Mike, but um, from my side, um, obviously I do a weekly buy to let of the week as well. So in terms of property sourcing itself, that's what I do on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, should I say, to try and find the buy to let opportunity for those clients. But coming over to you, Georgina, did you receive any training from, obviously you worked for different companies in the past, lettings background. Did you do any property sourcing yourself? Um, yes, um, it was it was almost frowned upon to to try and help somebody find a property if it wasn't listed with with the agency that I was working with. Um, whereas actually, um, it was bagging myself, you know, a, a client, a landlord, if I could find them the right investment, whether it was with the company that I was working for or not. So actually, I think it's a really a really sort of key thing that that you do the buy to let um, of the week, and it's not always an avocado partner that's selling the property. I think that's really crucial because you're working for for the landlord, not for you know a, a different company. So yeah, I think that's that's a really positive thing um, for for somebody to be able to do that um, with that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the main thing to take from that from from what Matt said is. What I'd love to know is what percentage of estate agents sat in a sales chair who were approached by a customer who can buy for cash are going to take the time and take the risk to give them some advice or take that really short win, which Matt also mentioned, of just getting from A to B in the quickest possible time, which is just, just flog them a flat which fits their budget rather than say, okay, you've got this much money. What are your actual aims? What are you trying to achieve and how can we most efficiently do that? And actually giving some advice and sitting down and taking some consideration. Now, whilst not a regulated financial advisor, it's giving someone an idea and giving someone somewhere to, to go with it. And I'd, I'd love to know the percentage of people, if you walked into agency branches or called estate agents over the next 24 hours, how many people out of 10 or 20 would would do that or whether they just bolt you straight into the, 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 the £200,000 flat that they've got on the market. I think that's the main issue that that landlords or particularly first-time landlords find when they approach an estate agent i don't know what you guys think about that comment i i agree with you and, and if you look at the the, the the if you if you go back to the scenario i spoke to you about earlier 200 grand split into 100 grand each even if you have a mortgage surveyor go around there they're going to be able to find they're going to be able to stack the numbers up to know that they're going to get their money back anyway at 50 percent um, and I think it's what 25 to 30 percent, now maybe even 30 to 35 percent, that a, a buy to let landlord needs to be able to generate a buy to let mortgage and to prove income on a monthly basis. Um, the, I think where you've got those scenarios, you need to be able to. I, I know the answer to your question, Mike. I reckon 99 percent of them will do exactly that um, because they will be thinking about the quick, easy win. Whereas when I was looking at it from an investment model perspective, I mean, it was advantageous for them. It was also beneficial to me because it grew the portfolio quicker. There was nothing better than having two properties in your portfolio rather than having one. But at the same point, you were then maximising the return on investment. So whenever that landlord came across more money or then wanted to recommend a letting agent to their friends or family or whatever, it was always, 
Matt at wherever he was before would provided the right advice to make sure that we generated a, a suitable rental income and made it beneficial to us. Because both of those properties that they've bought have appreciated in value over the past, let's say, 10 years. Well, you get the double, you get the doubling effect, don't you? Yeah. If, if you own one property and it goes up at market rate, you're, you're frankly, you're no richer than you were when you started. If you own two properties, which are going up at the market rate, you're going twice as fast as your neighbour. Um, yeah. And you're actually seeing some capital appreciation out of your properties. Now, Tristan's going to ask the next question about targets, which might, might answer that be question. just the reason why people don't spend the time or don't have the time to give the advice that Matt's just giving. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, from from what I see from previous companies that I've worked at, the targets are so highly set. But from uh, Matt, if I come to back over to you, from your experience of, of targets being set, what kind of targets were you outlaid to do on a, a, a on a monthly or daily basis? And do you think that's part of the reason to maybe why they don't explore those other options because it may be time consuming for them? I think I think there's there's two or three different things there. I think as as business business owners they're always looking for their return on investment each and every year and they tend to work more aggressive businesses will probably try and work 20 25 percent return on investment less aggressive businesses will probably be anywhere between five and 15 percent depending on their market size so by five by 20 percent you're looking on increasing your business plan targets by 15 to 20 percent every year now that's all that's not always possible with the infrastructure that's provided and look at infrastructure and what i mean by that is the the management of the clients thereafter and also the property managers. You put another 20% worth of portfolio onto your management pipeline, those clients aren't going to get the same level of service. Now, I think that it's too heavily driven to, I get KPIs, I get the fact that we want to be driven towards targets and achieving numbers because that's why that's why you're in business. But is that always the right thing for the customer? Does the customer get the right experience off the back of it? Now, answers on a postcard here and I mean I'll open that up to anyone else to see what they think but I think that if you look at the KPIs and the targets they're necessary but to, to really go after it that much is that really necessary when you're looking after the customer? What do you think Georgina? No I really don't um, it's not something that I was ever really fond of um, even though I worked in technically a sales environment um, you know being targeted to make 100 phone calls a day uh, when I had other more important things to do, like getting properties listed on the market, um, you know, why, why make the phone calls when I've actually got the business already there to, you look after your customers that you've got rather than keep going after more customers. So, uh, yeah, I completely agree. I agree with Matt. Um, that so, it's, it's nice to have some sort of structure, but it's not always, it shouldn't be the be all and end all um, of, of how, how uh, the professionals are, are working. It's like a funnel process, isn't it, really? You look at the top, you're looking to load in the top funnel, but the problem is if it's coming out the bottom end of the funnel, then it's not going to help you, is it? You're just loading to lose everything out the bottom, whereas in actual fact, you spend more time controlling and looking after the existing client database and occasionally put things in. Your, port, your portfolio is going to get bigger anyway. So it's about retaining and looking after that existing portfolio base to be able to get the most from that helps your business. But also Recommendations make, are, are the best, you know, their best form of business, aren't they? So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, it's, it's managing it correctly. And I think the better agents do that. 
but sometimes I think it's more driven towards the figures than providing that service there, in my opinion. Um, and clearly we speak sort of on the, on the same sort of grounds there. So bringing me on to my next question then, staff turnover. In your experience, Georgina, did you see many people in and out the door and sort of on the property management side or on the front end side of the, the, the business? And do you think this had a, any impact on the client? Yeah, particularly with property management, um, it's not always a role that people enjoy doing. But uh, once uh, a company has a decent property manager, I think they do uh, do anything to keep hold of them because it can it can make or break the business. They are the the absolute backbone of of a lettings business. So yeah, really important um, to because they also support the the staff that are, you know taking on the new business. If you can all work as a team, then yes, that's when it all stays together. But I have seen a lot of turnover of particularly property managers um and sales staff who aren't happy as well perfect and do you think this has much impact matt i think there's always been a bit of a divide between front and back um it's always something that i try and what i mean by that is front office to back office i think that the the targets are so heavily driven in the front office where you don't necessarily see the repercussion to the back office and then naturally becomes quite a fractious divide based on the front to the back based on things not being looked after as well as they can be, but they're never going to be if you keep loading the numbers and you keep putting more portfolio growth onto the pipeline because you're never going to be able to provide the same amount of service to the... If you've got 10 properties that you're managing and you're providing an excellent service, you're not going to be able to provide an excellent service if you've got 50. So it's important to make sure that you deliver the same expectations to that client time and time again. And the people that have experienced that for the past couple of years aren't suddenly going to be happy that just because you've got busier, they can't have the same service they wanted. Yeah. Well, they've come to you for a reason. So maintaining that and providing that level of service from day one to the end should be the key. So going on to uh, a couple of other things then, EPCs, it's a big talk thing in the industry at the moment, and it's been something they've been talking about for a while. But um, coming back to you, Matt, potential changes by 2025 on this, what impact do you think this will have on the industry and why do you think it will? Uh, I, I remember when it came in originally when they went, I, I might get the gradings wrong, but I think it was E or E or below was okay and then F or G wasn't. Um, I mean, we're... If you look at a new build development, and it's band C, isn't it, Tristan, that they're going to change it to? Is that right? Or yeah, it's, prepared- it's not official yet, but it's, it's very C-H. close, yeah. So most new build developments you'll probably find about a band C or a band D, probably more band C. Um, most of the towns we operate in have property dating back Victorian ages, even, even 1940s, 1950s, 1970s, and, and they all struggle to get much above a low D. So... I think that you're going to find there's a lot of landlords out there that will be reluctant to want to spend a significant amount of money on improving the property to a level to get it up to that if they can or substantiate that they've done as much as they possibly can do to get it to a, what's the value? It's like they're talking about £10,000 or something worth of costs. And and, and this, this is, this in itself is a challenge. Whereas if I'm an investment landlord and my property needs some money spending on it, and it's a long-term strategy for me to hold that because it's better to be able to use for, my retirement planning the investment's critical because you keep hold of it you've got the appreciation there you've got a return on investment and you spread that cost out over a 20-year period for example you've got uh, maths isn't going to be quick enough for me 500 pound a year 40 pound a month to 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 keep that cost at a sensible level um whereas if you're an investment landlord and you're thinking i'll tell you what i'm not really sure that i'm going to be in this for the long haul next two to three years 
I can't afford to spend another £10,000 on a property to get it up to the level when it's never going to be a band C because currently it's a high E or a low D. Um, so I think the challenges will come from expectation on what will be delivered by the legislation once that's delivered. Um, I also think it'll be down to the, the experience of the lessing agent to be able to guide that landlord through the process to show the advantages of retaining the portfolio that way. Um, and I think where you look at appreciation of property, I mean, I don't have the stats off the top of my head, but you look at property as appreciated over the past 10 years, you're going to more than make that money back in the next 10 years, even if you have to spend a bit of money. Um, plus, you're still making a decent return on investment. It's going to make it more attractive for anyone that moves into the property as well, because if your running costs are lower, it's only going to benefit them. And if you'd asked me this sort of six, seven years ago, I didn't have anyone really asking for EPC ratings, but go out now on appointments and it's quite a frequent question. Don't know if you find the same, Georgina? Yeah, absolutely. People are definitely interested in it now. But yeah, 10 years ago, it wasn't wasn't a big deal. They didn't even really know what it was when they first came out. Um, so yeah, people. I think people do want um, at least a C rating Um particularly tenants as well, because it's their bills at the end of the day. That's what they're interested in. Whereas, um, you know, so they want to know that obviously it's double glazing and, and uh, that they're going to have that. So, yeah, definitely. And do you think this will have a big impact on the sales market as well, not just lettings? I think so, yes, because... I think even buyers want to, to know that it's a decent EPC rating as well. And the older properties, um, yes, there are things that you can do to make improvements like cavity wall insulation and loft insulation. Um, but will they they want to make those uh, upgrades to a house that they're buying or will they go for something that's already already had that done? So, yes, I think it will have an impact. Um, you know, if it hits somebody's back pocket, it's always going to. It's always going to have that impact. So, yeah, whether there's some sort of government grants um, that will be available to help people, um, I think if, if that's going alongside with the legislation changes, then um, it, it will uh, have a knock-on effect otherwise. I think, ironically, I think you're already seeing an impact. Um, something like 11% of properties being sold are being sold by landlords and only 6% of properties being bought are being bought through land by landlords so the the traffic is is exiting the market overall and i think matt summarized it really well it depends what you're in it for if you're in it for the next 40 years or however long it might be you break down a ten thousand pound spend on a property and it becomes pennies really um whereas if you're in it to make money or ride the market or because you became an accidental landlord because you couldn't sell your flat 10 years ago when you wanted to move to a house with that coupled with the way the sales markets exploded um really i think might show it might it might be something that is just the straw that breaks the camel's back and pushes people out because it's just another bill that they don't they haven't saved for they haven't accounted for they don't really care about and they want to go i don't know what people think that maybe that's a really really brutal answer but maybe i don't know how what people think, I think about I think, it. Right, I think you're right mike i think there's a lot of, i think there's a lot i think i think where where you're going to get the sensible shrewd investor is when they're going to look at this from a an opportunity perspective and what i mean by that is some of the landlords that i speak to at the moment buy properties specifically to pass down to grandkids kids whatever um more so to stay away from um inheritance tax later on in the process 
um, setting it up in some sort of estate planning facility to be able to deliver that is a good idea. Um, and all of these things cost money, whether you're looking to try and set it up in a trust to be able to give it to your kids later on down the line, or whether you need to make improvements to be able to satisfy the requirements that are going to come in 2025. I think there's there's multiples of different routes that many shrewd investors will look at this and go, okay, it's another hurdle, but let's be honest, over the past five, six, seven years, landlords have had something to contend with every single year, whether it was the EPC ratings, whether it was the bringing of uh, EICRs a couple of years ago, whether it was whatever came in previously to that. Um, this isn't unusual for historic landlords that want to retain a portfolio. It's very much a common trend that the, the government have wanted every buy-to-let landlord to take some sort of consequence for having a second home. Um, the tax changes that came with it as well a little while ago. So I, th- I think you'll, I think there will be some landlords that want to come out of the market, but I think they're the ones that will come out of the market anyway. I think the shrewd investor will be the ones that actually retain the property, hold on to it for a period of time, look to hand it down in way of a trust to be able to stay away from inheritance tax for the kids later on in life um, and be able to still return an investment through the capital that they generate through the rent. I think there's some, um, I was on a conference call this morning just talking about the legislation changes that's um, expected next year. And um, one of them was with a solicitor and they were saying you need to start putting money aside now because the likelihood is it is going to come into effect. But then if you go on to my buy to let of the weeks from recent, there's been some properties on there that were brought sort of 10, 15 years ago and they've gone up 240, 250,000 pounds in that period of time. So for the sake of 10 pounds, the capital growth from the property anyway is going to go up substantial based mm-hmm. upon stats of the last 30, 40 years. Property yeah. is obviously a great investment. So for the sake of putting some money aside from the rent each month, it makes sense to do so. But I have to agree with what you're saying there, Matt. So just just one one last thing just to add in that I think that there's a lot of landlords out there that have changed there's a lot of landlords I talk to that are still on a standard variable tracker rate on their mortgage where they're paying probably a lot more than what they need to Um, whereas there's a real opportunity with rates being low and they are climbing at the moment as we as we publicized earlier on this week end of last week that there's still there's still some really fantastic rates out there for buyers that landlords to take advantage of and if that means that you save um, take out a five-year fixed-rate mortgage with a buy-to-let product, whether the cost is whatever the cost is, but it's going to save you £50 a month for the next five, well, where are we now, 2021, four years, £50 a month, £600 a year over the course of the four years is, um, my maths isn't going to be quick enough. But you, you, yeah, exactly right. You're in for 2400 That's That's a quarter of your cost that you might need to pay on extend, on improving the property. So remortgage now, get yourself onto a better product, save the money in the long run, but do it through the fact that you're borrowing the money elsewhere. I think that's a great tip to, to bear in mind. Quick fire, very simple, 30 seconds on a topic. Georgina, what happens next in the property market? I think prices are, are leveling off. They are that we've hit our peak for the for the year, which is great. They, they've been climbing all year, so yeah, that's my insight. Matt, what about yourself? I think um, the I think it's two different answers to that. Actually, I think your flat market prices are definitely stagnated. I think your house market, specifically in Wokingham, prices are on the up. Um, especially the the two and three bedroom housing market, there's a lot, there, there isn't a lot of it out there at the moment. So I think sellers can be very bullish with their prices, specifically on the housing side of things. Fab. Pausing that. I haven't written down what the other two are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Was it I've supposed to be 30 seconds worth of if you're, invest- 
if you invest in the there perfect deal, yeah, perfect deal, yeah, yeah. Right, I'm pausing that. One for the one for the cutting room floor. Cheers, mate. If you could invest in a deal personally tomorrow, what does the perfect deal look like for you, Matt? Um, houses, okay, I'll be, so I'll be quick. Summarize, I, as houses, decent return on investment, I'll be looking for somewhere between four and a half and 5%. Um, the, the reason why houses, houses and freehold, you've got control over your asset opposed to paying ground rents and service charges and the variability of those. Um, I would be buying two or three bedroom houses with a return of somewhere for four and a half, five percent and just holding on to it for a period of time. Georgina? Very similar to Matt, actually. I, I wouldn't necessarily want to invest in something that's the leasehold because of ground rent charges and things being out of your control. And uh, so, yeah, I agree. I think three bedroom houses, the more family, if you get a house in a good good uh, school catchment um people are always wanting to to rent in those areas um and uh, yeah i think also maisonettes if you get a ground floor maisonette with a garden those always achieve uh, a good uh, a good return as well i think it's really interesting coming from those questions i've asked that question probably 20 times now during our podcast series freehold always comes up Families always come up as well, which didn't used to happen. It's now very much investing in family homes for families because of length of tenure. I'm interested to see how that changes over the next year to two years with the regulation of ground rent and the regulation of leaseholds. Um, so costs are then calculated over and above the freeholder's head. Um, so things are controlled for them if that then brings people back towards leaseholds as an investment. Because I've held flats in the past, done very, very well from renting flats, found it very low maintenance. But I totally agree with the points that if I was going to buy something right here today, I'd probably buy a house over a flat because of those reasons. So it's really interesting to hear that, hear that feedback. And I can't wait to ask the same question in a year or 18 months when the bill comes through. So, that really concludes all of our questions. It concludes the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Matt, you've been fantastic. Georgina, also, thank you for coming on. Awesome answers. Really good insight into how you feel things are changing, where you feel think people should be putting their money, and what people should be looking for when they engage in an estate agent. I hope everyone listening has enjoyed the podcast. As I said at the start, if you've got questions, if you want to dive further into a point or if you want to get in contact with either of the guests that we've had online, please post a question and I guarantee we'll come back to you. Now, Tristan and I, looking forward to summarising. So, Tristan, that's another one in the bag as such. Matt and Georgina are fantastic guests. They're also fantastic agents and great people. So if anyone ever wants to get in contact with them and doesn't know their details, just fire us a message and we'll put you in contact with them. What did you find the, the biggest takeaway from this conversation? For me, it was um, one of Matthew's answer of um, assessing a client situation from a, a previous scenario. Whereas if it had gone into a typical agency elsewhere, the person would have been pushing to sell the one property that they were after, they wanted obviously the, the one, but it turns out based upon listening to their requirements, they actually had enough money to split the money and get two buy-to-let opportunities that with time would grow in capital growth and give them double the amount of money with the way things have been in the past sort of 10, 20, 30 years. Whereas if they had gone down the route of doing the one property, they wouldn't have seen much growth in the property 
and, and the benefit from two there. And it goes sort of in line with the bite set of the week I do and, and the advice we give really. Um, and, and I just love his mentality from that. And I think that that's, that's something that, that is the difference between some agents from others where they're so driven on targets rather than working at the client's requirements. And, and he's certainly done that previously. Yeah, I think that feeds into the conversation we also had about KPIs, that, that a lot of estate agents are so driven by their KPI and their weekly target that they'll do the fastest and the easiest thing to get a sale rather than stop, listen, and actually give some worldly, life-given, life-found-out advice of, of what you would do if you were walking a mile in that client's shoes and actually give them the interest of, what's best for them rather than what's best for you as an estate agent, which is massively valuable. And if you can find an estate agent that will walk a mile in your shoes as a, as a landlord or as a, as a buyer, as a seller, then they're the ones who are, who are worth the money that you're going to pay them hands down, in my opinion, rather than the one who's just going to get your house sold in two days for the asking price, um, as the old adage goes on the leaflet. So I think that's a massive, massive thing. And it, and it just shows where someone can listen, take, take the information on board and then, and then give some advice that actually benefits. And no doubt that client will remember that and that client will be happy in the knowledge that with capital appreciation, the properties, properties that they bought will have doubled rather than just gone up by one. So they owe him a, a drink if they ever bump into him down at the golf course or at the local pub I'm sure so everyone thanks so much for joining as ever there'll be another podcast following shortly after that if this is the first time you've listened please please go back through the back catalogue give us a like give us a review follow the podcasts we really really value you following what we do and if there's ever any more advice or if there's anyone you would love us to have on as a guest give us a shout. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again. I'm flicking through YouTube and through Spotify. I don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on YouTube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They just have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year. Yeah. But why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital yeah. gains tax, and obviously a stamp duty cost that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast, and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice. 